0: Hey, Connect Church, I'm so glad that you're here. Happy Easter. I hope you guys are having a great day so far. The worship was incredible, but you are in for a special treat, a powerful word. Today, I want to talk to you about the Judas in me. Now, I'm going to start with just kind of a classic Easter scripture taken from Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. You can follow with me. It says, I am he Jesus speaking and was who lives and was dead. I am he who lives and was dead. I love that there is no other religion where the founder was dead and is now alive, but we have a founder who was dead and is now alive. And then he says, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. He is so fired up, he amens himself. And he says, I have the keys of Hades and of death. This is incredibly good news that we serve a risen Savior. You might want to turn to your neighbor somewhere in the room, high-five them, and just say, we serve a risen King. We serve uh, a risen Lord and Savior. He's no longer dead, but he's alive. Now, what's so powerful about the gospel message is that, and Scripture tells us, that we all fall short. We've all missed the mark. We all didn't meet the standards. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, and we celebrated that on Good Friday because of what he did by sacrificing his life. But not only that, but coming back to life, we have eternal security because he paid for our sin, but we also can overcome in this life. So he didn't just deal with the when and then, he helps us in the here and now. And I'm so grateful that Jesus forgives us of our sin, but he sets us free and gives us the power to overcome in this life. But today, I want to talk to you about this guy, Judas. You know, when I was studying uh, for Easter, looking for kind of a fresh word, um, I was drawn to the villain in the story. And you know who it is. You know, of course, it's Judas. And I was focused on the role he played and some of the, you know, characteristics of his uh, personality. But before I get into that, I thought to help us out a little bit, I wanted to look at some of the greatest villains of all time. In other words, let's reminisce. Some of you have, you know, in this media world in which we live, do you remember this girl, Cruella DeVille? Yeah, look at her. Some of you know who I'm talking about. I mean, she wanted to kill puppies. (laughs) She's got a problem, everybody. So there's Cruella DeVille. um, Now, one of my all-time favorite kind of villains growing up as a Star Wars junkie, was Darth Vader. Check this guy out. You know, Luke... I am your father. You know, I'm not going to try to do it because I'm terrible at that stuff. My wife's a better impressionist. Uh, but Darth Vader, he was no joke. And, and then, you know, the Batman series, which was one of my favorite series of all, there's the Notorious Joker. Now, this particular Joker, I think, was the fiercest of all the messages, excuse me, all the the, uh, the uh, movies that came out during that particular time. And then if we go way back, we've got the Wicked Witch of the West, <laughs> you know, and she was scary for for me, when I was a kid, that's, I'm dating myself for some of you right now, so I'm going to bring it forward to a contemporary villain that I know some of you will relate to, and that's LeBron James. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm coming for you, okay? He's wearing number 23. Nobody wears number 23 except the greatest player of all time, Michael Jordan, all right? So he's definitely a villain, and if you have a problem with that, then you're free to go visit some other churches online today. Okay, thank you very much. Um, and then... Another villain, this is just for all the husbands out there that do not have the gift of craftsmanship. In other words, your skill set is not fixing things. And so there's this classic show, the Fixer Upper Show, and we've got this guy, Chip Gaines. Yeah, I hate you, Chip okay, because he says it's too easy, and we could just move this door, and we could just make a pocket door over here, and we could just build this and build it. No, you can't, Chip, because as soon as you leave, a whole crew comes in, knocks it down, and puts it back up. We don't have that, and now you convince my wife that it's easy, and it's not, And I'm pretty upset about that. And so, anyway, um, where was I? Okay, so another villain getting to the real real villain, of course, is Judas. Now, I found this picture. I thought it was so funny. Jesus is having a Zoom call. Look at this one, okay? Jesus is having a Zoom call, and he's like, "Uh, guys, uh, is Judas on the line? Is he here? Where's Judas? I just thought that was so funny. Um, But Judas, he's... He's really the ultimate villain. I mean, his name is synonymous with betrayal, um, and we all know that. And he's one of the greatest villains of all time, and he really spices up this Easter story. But what if Judas wasn't always that way? And so if we go back to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, I want you to see some things here today, and I think it'll help us out in the condition and in the culture and in the crisis we're in today. Matthew 10, 1, it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples together, and he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits, to heal every kind of disease and illness. See, this text reveals that it wasn't just them, but also Judas. Judas was one of the disciples. He was commissioned to go out to make a difference, and at his own hands, he probably saw miracles. The the blind, the deaf, the dumb, the lame. Uh, He he might have seen that at his own hands uh, because Jesus gave them authority. Uh, He saw Jesus raise the dead. He Guys, he was a part of Jesus' ministry. So we see him as this villain. Um, In fact, in, in the Last Supper... Um, we look at it differently, but look at it through the lens of everybody who was there. It says in John chapter 13, verse 21 and following, Jesus speaking says, one of you is going to betray me. And then his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them could it be. See, we're looking from the outside in as onlookers and saying, well, of course, it was Judas. Clearly, he's the one. He's the outsider. But that wasn't the case. They didn't know because he looked like them, he behaved like them, he believed like them. Uh, He seemed to be a part of everything that they were about. But what was different about Judas? What happened? Where he could be a follower of Christ and then ultimately the betrayer of Christ? What what went wrong? Well, we all know that Judas had some issues, right? We we immediately know the one issue that he had. For those of us who have been exposed to this story, um, just like judas we 've all struggled with certain areas. We all might have a particular Achilles. It could be an addiction, a habit, a hang up of some sort. but But Judas struggled with uh, the mighty dollar, the, the the monster of money, the uh, the greed monster. and we find out in one story where about six days before Palm Sunday, which we celebrated last week, uh, Judas and the disciples and Jesus they were having a meal, enjoying a meal together. And Martha is feeding everybody, and Mary's there as well. And Mary comes on the scene, and she brings this expensive, it says, alabaster jar. And it's filled with just expensive perfume. And she begins to put it on on Jesus. Now, you know this story. If you don't, it's a powerful story of an extravagant gift. But what was amazing in this, in this moment, it was, it was almost ceremonial. It was a prophetic kind of uh, preparation for the burial of Jesus Christ. She was preparing him. And in the middle of that scene, uh, Judas speaks up. John twelve four says, Judas Iscariot, is who was later to betray him, <laughs> every gospel uh, writer always j- jabs at Judas. Even though they all had their own issues, they couldn't help but put that in there as in a judgmental way. But it says he betrayed him, uh, was later to betray him, he objected. And he said, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a, a year's wages. The scripture says he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he would take some of that money for himself. So yes, Judas wanted a piece of the action. Yes, uh, he was a thief. Um, There was this sin in his life, and it clearly kept him from seeing clearly what was really important in that situation and in that scene while that meal was taking place and while Mary, excuse me, um, yeah, Mary was worshiping Jesus. But not only that, there's another thing at play here. See, if you study Jesus' life, Uh, and you study Judas inside the story, Judas probably expected something of Jesus that I think others did as well. He expected, I believe, a physical king, someone who would come, who would rule, and who would reign, and who would break uh, the Jews away from the tyranny of the Romans. In fact, it was prophesied. Even at Jesus' birth, early, and we see in Luke chapter 1, it's in your notes there, verse 32, it says, Jesus, he will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him uh, the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Everybody knew this. The disciples believed that he was going to establish kind of a sovereign state for the Jewish people and pull them away from this Roman oppression. In fact, Jesus knew they all thought that. When he was feeding the 5,000 one time in John chapter 6, the people saw the miracle that Jesus had performed in feeding all of the 5,000. And, and, it's, and they began to say, the people began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Verse 15, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew, look at this, again to the mountain by himself. This isn't the first time. Jesus was aware of the expectation that the people had of Jesus, and so he would pull away. He would withdraw, and Judas, along with others, believed Jesus was going to be this physical king. What if blinded by sin, what if not submitted fully to Jesus... He couldn't see. He, he was refuting what Jesus said. He wasn't hearing, even though Jesus over and over would say, my kingdom is not of this world. My time has not yet come. All of them and Judas still heard their own plan. They saw their own um, kind of, uh, you know, the way they wanted to go, roadmap, the way they wanted to go. So, it, so what if Judas who had the way he thought it should go, decided to accelerate this plan. And so I think he wanted to start this revolution early. I think he knew where Jesus was going, and he wanted to help him get there a little bit faster. So in Matthew 26, verse 14, it says, One of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests, and he went to the religious leaders. And he asked, What are you willing to give me if if I hand him over to you? And so they counted him up 30 silver coins. And we read that and think, there it is. There's his problem. You know, uh, he's, he's, it's all about the money. Uh, I would submit to you it's more than that. I don't think it's just about the money. I, I think that if it was just about the money, it would have been a larger sum of money. In fact, this 30 silver coins today would translate into about $3,000. Now, just, just pause. Would you sell out a king for three grand? I don't think so. See, I think Judas, well, I know Judas was Jesus' treasurer. I believe, and I think if you study Jesus' life, you would see in his ministry, he wasn't broke. He wasn't broke. There was a point in time where he needed to feed 5,000. There was more than one story related to this. And the disciples, you know, come to him and says, we need to feed the people. And, and Jesus is like, well, then go feed them. F- feed them all? Well, that's a year's wages. Do you want us to buy a meal? See, Jesus... I think he had the money to do that, but instead he performs a miracle. I think Jesus, when he was calling the disciples to himself, think about this, they left their families, their businesses, their their children. I don't think Jesus left the person who was the primary breadwinner of their household to starve. No, he must have help them, or they had enough means to to take care of them. Something there took place. Maybe he was taking care of them as well, because they were going to be on the road with him traveling full-time for three and a half years. They definitely, definitely didn't. That's not Jesus' nature to do that. He'd take care of them. Not to mention, Jesus sent out 120 of his followers at one time, and many people believe, theologians believe, he bankrolled that whole thing. In addition, the Bible records... (laughs) a little controversial, that there were a bunch of wealthy married women that would follow him around and they would take care of all of his expenses. So my point is, Jesus might have had hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars by equivalency to fund his ministry, and Judas had access to that. It couldn't have been about the money, okay? And so this is one of my bigger points. I believe it had to do with his expectation of God, of Jesus, that Jesus again, he would rule and reign. He would be this. He would be the king he wanted him to be. It would fulfill his plan and his purposes. And he began to become disenfranchised, to say the least, when Jesus wouldn't execute the plan the way Judas wanted it to be executed. And so later, as this develops, this this virus of his soul, we see the remorse as Judas. Sees Jesus condemned to die. And he basically says, what have I done? In Matthew 27, it says, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse, and he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests, to the religious leaders and the elders there, and he said, I have sinned. He has a moment of repentance. He said, I have betrayed one with innocent blood. And the religious people responds... Respond with, what is that to us? That is your responsibility. When Judas heard that, he threw the money into the temple. He went away, believing that he could not be forgiven, and he hanged himself. What a a shift of story. And I think as I was processing this myself, for myself, and I hope you can too, what's fascinating about this story is the closer that I look at Judas, the more uncomfortable I become with myself. Because if, if I'm honest, there are parts of Judas that are also in me. A question for you. What if we're a little bit more like Judas than we care to admit? We like to put all that on him as the villain, but I believe there's a Judas in me. I believe there could be a Judas in you. I think this may be the same for you. Uh, you're sitting there at home, quarantined, more hours, more hours, Spent at home with family than you have in years. You know what happens is some, there's some awesome things about that, but there's another side, a darker side, where the things that pre existed this period of time begun to surface. It surfaces. The things that were easily hidden by distraction and by activity and by running and gunning, uh, the things that were masked, the things that were swept under the rug, now we're living where that rug is. Now it's impossible to ignore. Now you are facing the Judas in you. And there are some things in the story that I think relate to us here on Easter. Number one, write this down. Judas was, he was distracted by sin. It, it, this happens to all of us. It, it may be different for you, but it could be uh, lying, gossip. It could be lust, poor stewardship. It could be laziness, selfishness, greed, pride, fear, worry. Those are sins. Uh, millions of different things, but it's in times like these, in times of crisis, that those things surface And they rob us of the benefits that Easter bring to us. Whatever those things are, what happened before, which I pray is broken today, is uh, something inside of us says, no big deal, don't worry about those things it won't keep me from following christ those things it won't derail my destiny but what you don't realize could be happening that god could be trying to deal with during this time is those things begin to take residence inside of you i call it a foothold that becomes a stronghold uh, the bible calls it uh, habitual sin and before you know it it can be the filter that you are uh, seeing the world, that you are seeing life through. And just like Judas, it causes you to make bad decisions in critical moments. When God is doing an incredible thing, you decide, "Uh, why would we do this? We should give this money to the poor. We see it wrong. And as a result, we make bad decisions, and then we have corresponding bad feelings later. And it's kind of like When I go on a drive for a little levity, Uh, if you're like me, I like to enjoy the world around me. I like, oh, look at that car. I like that house. I like the scenery and the landscape. And, And while I'm looking around while I'm driving, it can get a little scary for my wife and for my children. If I'm honest, they're probably laughing right now. But I can swerve a little bit while I'm driving. Because I'm not paying attention to where I'm going, to the direction that, that, that is ahead of me. And I'm not, I'm not giving my total attention to the situation. And I'm wondering why is my wife not enjoying this incredible trip? And 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 she's over there white knuckling it, just saying, car, car, you know, curb, curb, honey, honey, did you see that person? Are you honey? Are you paying attention right now? And 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 do you even know what's going on? Mailbox and all that stuff's happening right now. And, and I'm like, you know, yeah. And she's like, how do you get through a day? And I, I don't know. I mean, Jesus takes the wheel. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but the Bible describes this condition spiritually that I'm referring to kind of physically. In Romans 121, it says, it says yes, they, um, they knew God. This word new is the Greek word ginosko. It means they experienced God, but they wouldn't worship him as God. In other words, they didn't put God in the first place, in, in the first position, the big word preeminent in your life. And, and it says, or even give him thanks. We wouldn't even stop to be thankful for all the wonderful things that he's done in our lives. And as a result, then we began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. You see this progression. You see the the symptoms of sin. See, sin blinds us and it binds us. Sin distorts our reality, and it also kind of confines us and keeps us from what God wants to do in our life. The second thing that can happen, and we see this in the Judas account, is you can become deceived by false expectations, we get this idea that Jesus, it's kind of a different gospel, that Jesus died and he rose from the dead to make all my dreams come true. And we see uh, if our lives are built on this premise, if God is going to, if I surrender to him, he's going to fulfill my wildest dreams and exceed my expectations. He's going to do above and beyond all that I could ask or think. Uh, We begin to think and even pray, God, this is the best plan. Kind of get on my team, get on my level. Uh, This is what I think you should do and how you should do it. And maybe you don't say that consciously, but unconsciously, that's what is happening. Yet the Bible says his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Derek, I want to fulfill the desires that are in your heart But as Psalm 37, 4 says, they have to be in accordance with my will. Because my will for you is what is best for you. And so sometimes life can be frustrating because it's not the life you planned. And Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, he was really straight up. He said, get ready. Get ready because you might be hated by people. You might be despised by others. He said, in this life, I promise you, trouble, trial, tests, And then in the end, don't worry about it because take heart. Be courageous because I've overcome the world. You're going to be overcome it too. So somewhere in the midst of this reality of of the crisis we're in, the hardship, the trial that we're in right now, sometimes we get shipwrecked and certain difficulties begin to increase in our lives. And maybe it's connected to our original expectations of God and how we think he should do things. You know, in the oldest book of the Bible, Job, uh, there's a story of a wealthy, wealthy man there. He, had a, he was wealthy, he was healthy, he had a beautiful family, and the Bible says he loved God. And Satan came to heaven and said, uh, your servant Job, you know the only reason that he loves you? is because you give him everything he wants, because you bless him. God's like, no, my, my Job's not like that. Okay, Satan says, well, why don't we put that theory to the test? Why don't you let me at him? God was reluctant, but eventually he says, okay, but you can't kill him within days. Everything Job had was gone. His health, his wealth, his family, it was, it was terrible. And, and it was so bad, the circumstances and the expectations changed so bad. His own wife says to him, you should curse God, Job, and you should die. Look, at, in Job thirty twenty six. look what it says. This is unbelievable. It says, when I hope for good, evil came. When I look for light, there was nothing but darkness. Maybe that's how you feel today. I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on in your life today. I can only anticipate or imagine. Maybe you were hoping for one thing and you didn't get that thing. Maybe you were praying for your business to boom and blossom and now it's like on the verge of disaster. It's in shambles. Maybe you were praying for your marriage to, to, to come together and now you're on the verge of divorce and you, you can't even get away from each other. You're trapped. Maybe you prayed for somebody to be made well and they got sick or even, or even died. See, what happens in those moments when our faith is shipwrecked and God is not meeting our expectations? See, we have to settle something. We have to come to the same conclusion that Job did. Here's a question that should come up for you. Do, do I serve God for who he is or do I serve God for what he's, for what he's done? Which one? See, I think we need to serve God for who he is. But a lot of us go to God and we're we're like what have you done for me lately? We've got like a Janet Jackson mentality and like Judas we become frustrated because our plans are conflicting with God's plans right now and what he has for us amidst our difficulties. God's plans for Judas was very different than what Judas expected, and Judas got sidelined, and he wasn't seeing things right, which leads me to my third and final point. See, perhaps there are some of you today that get destroyed by religion. Now, let me unpack this for you because Notice that in crisis, notice when the expectations weren't being met and the disappointment was there. Where did Judas turn? He turned to religion. He didn't turn to relationship. He said, I've shed innocent blood. What can I do? And the response of religion was, uh, that's your problem and that's your fault. You know what religion says sometimes? R- religion... Well, first of all, we know we've fallen short. That's why we go looking for answers. And yet we go sometimes to the wrong place to find solutions. And we go to religion, and religion says you need to try harder. You need to be better. You need to work harder. You need to give more, attend more, uh, be a better person. It's your fault. It's your responsibility. And Jesus talked about this. In Luke chapter 11, it says, What sorrow awaits you experts in religious law for you crush people with unbearable religious demands and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. See, religion will suck the life out of you. I want you to be okay with giving and serving and and, and reading your Bible and all of that. But if you think that's the path to God, the harder you try, the farther away you're going to find yourself from the only one who can help you. And that's Jesus Christ. You may feel like Judas today. You may feel like God could never save me or forgive me or a person like me. But the good news of Easter, uh, it, it, the, the most famous scripture in the Bible is John chapter 3, verse 16. But right after that is a verse that sometimes is overlooked. <clears throat> in verse 17, it says this, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't come to say, it's your fault, take responsibility. No, he came to save it. And, and listen, everyone, this is good news for Easter. excuse me, Jesus didn't come to make you sorry. He came to set you free. Come on, somebody, that'll preach. He didn't come to make you feel sorry, to feel bad. He came to set you free from your guilt and your condemnation. There's none of that in Christ Jesus. So the good news is Jesus forgives. Jesus sets free, and we see that in this story. And the amazing part of that story uh, is Judas was not the only betrayer that night. In fact, Jesus looked at Peter, and he said, Peter, um, you know, the devil wants to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. i prayed for you. Peter's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to be with you to the end. I'll fight to the very end. I- I'm always going to be there. Jesus like, Mm-mm. Jesus says, no, Peter. No, before this night ends, you're going to betray me three times, three different times. Peter says, no way, Lord. That's not me. I'm not going to do it. Jesus is later arrested. He's being tried. He's at Caiaphas' house, the high priest. Peter follows from a distance, and he's, uh, he's kind of looking on. Warming his hands by a fire. A little girl comes up to him and says, Hey, didn't you travel with Jesus? I, I know who you are. You're a follower. No, absolutely not. I don't even know him. Okay. Even minutes later, perhaps, I don't know, but another group of people come up and say, No, 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 she's right. Yeah, you're, you're part of that whole Galilean crew. Yeah, you're one of those followers of Jesus. No, absolutely not. I don't even know who he is. I don't know him at all. And then he cusses them out. He cusses him out like a sailor. Isn't it interesting that under stress and under pressure and under difficulty, we return to our old nature and we resort to the person we once were. That's what happens when we fail. That's what happens when we come under pressure. We go back to our old person. And about an hour later, he's standing there in front of another group of people. And they come up and they say, hey, you're that guy from Galilee. You're a follower of Jesus. And once again, he denies even knowing Jesus this is powerful though but at that moment the bible says jesus looked over at peter from his trial he looked straight at peter in fact in luke 22:61 it says the lord looked, turned and looked straight at peter Whew. can you imagine that moment you know the piercing gaze of the savior that you had just betrayed as his eyes lock with your eyes it goes penetrates your soul peter realizes in that moment that everything jesus said was absolutely true and Peter remembered the Bible says the word the Lord had spoken before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times and he went outside and he wept bitterly. See listen, just like Judas, Peter was repentant. he went outside and, and he and he wept but his story doesn't end like Judas though. He, he leaves us with a question. the question is, what is the difference between the two? What's the difference between Judas and, and Peter? See, Judas, again, was distracted by sin. Judas was deceived by false expectations. Judas was destroyed by religion, which is one of his biggest problems, is he didn't turn to God, he turned to religion. And, and a cool thing in history is this, that whenever you're reading your Bible, theologians always say, whenever the disciples are listed, they're almost always listed in the same order. Uh, there's a couple of variations, but for the most part, it's the same. There's one one consistency within uh, this, 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 this pattern that we see in Scripture. Theologians believe that every time the disciples are listed, they're listed in relationship or their closeness to Jesus. And in every one of the lists, Peter is always first and Judas is always last. But look at the difference here. See, Peter had a relationship with Jesus. Judas had a relationship with religion. And he experienced it. He knew about the rules. He he saw the miracles. He knew the Bible stories. uh, He knew how the meetings were supposed to run. Uh, He had a form of religion, but he didn't have a real relationship. And my feeling is that during this crisis, there are thousands of people at home today listening to the sound of my voice that are going in one of two directions. You are either, because of your expectations, running to God or you're running away from God. Are you turning towards God right now? Are you turning away from God right now? Let me put it like this. As as we're at home, uh, something is happening or something's about to happen for some of you. Our sin is either amplified by crisis or our sin is being confronted by it. Uh, Our expectations of God are keeping us from him or our anticipation of God is drawing us to him. Our past religious experience or present religious experience is suffocating us or our relationship with Jesus is saving us right now. Which one are you today? You have a choice. See, Judas turned to religion while Peter turned to relationships. Judas knew he was a sinner. Peter knew he needed a savior. Judas decided to pay for his own sins and take his own life. Peter decided to let Jesus Christ pay for his sins and find salvation. Listen, sir, man, boy, or girl, we all have betrayed Jesus in some way. Will you be a Judas or will you be a Peter? I'd like you to just please be very still. I'd like you to just be ready to pray with me in just a moment. Would you be really, really still for a moment? You know, the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, I want you to know something. God loves you. And some of you are listening today, and it's it's the perfect time for you to be listening, because you need to know God can forgive you, and God can set you free. The scripture tells us that God demonstrated his own love toward us when we were jacked up, messed up, missed the mark, didn't meet the standards. We were sinners. He still died for you. He died for you so you could live with him forever. He rose so you could overcome here. And now in John 11, it says, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. You'll relationship doesn't start when you die relationship eternity as it were starts when you come into relationship with him it starts it can start today for you and the scripture says do you believe this do you believe this would you would you consider surrendering your life to god right now would you consider bowing your head with me and joining me as we pray because this is about adjusting your expectations from just the problems we have in the here and now in this moment to eternity. Make sure that you're okay there. Make sure that you see the original intent and mission and message of Jesus Christ, because just like Peter, unlike Judas, your life can be restored. You can be forgiven. You can be set free, and you can be one of the closest ones to Jesus all the days of your life. There's no sin that the Savior can't set you free from. So would you pray with me right now? With every head bowed and every eye closed, wherever you are, close your eyes just so that you can focus on your own heart. And and I'm going to pray with you. I I want to lead you into a prayer of salvation. If you're disconnected from God, in just a moment, we're going to ask you to kind of hit the little banner there below and say, that was me. I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. This prayer won't save you. But believing it in your heart and speaking it out with your mouth, when that happens, something supernatural happens, and your life will never be the same again. And people are going to want to pray with you and talk to you about that, and I encourage you to do that, to get in a chat room or to go online and talk to somebody after this. But let me tell you something. This is the most important decision you could ever make in your life today. Pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me today for all of my sin, all of my mistakes. I repent I want a real relationship with you, so come into my life today. Help me really know you. Help me live for you all the days of my life, now and forever. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen.